This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Tonic, heard Saturday afternoons at 1 on Zoomer Radio. The following is a sponsored program. Zoomer Radio and MZ Media Incorporated do not endorse any of the statements or opinions made by the contributors. most important thing to know is that yes it can be very intimidating to start going to a gym but we were all newbies at one point don't get super worried about phantom futures don't worry about the perfection don't worry about down the road with baby steps you gotta work your way there and then when you feel a little bit more confident then you go to the weight room and then you think okay kathleen would just say embrace my inner goofy boo who i am everybody was a first timer once Welcome to the new and improved 60-minute version of The Tonic. I'm your host, Jamie Bussin, and we're here to talk about your health and wellness. On today's show, we're going to discuss detoxification. Also, the top tips for gym newbies. And then yoga breathing. Lastly, preparing for an empty nest. But first, a little bit of business. Today's sponsor is Purely Natural. Their liquid greens chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained, natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with that great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy, enjoy the detox, enjoy the great taste. Joel Thuna is a master herbalist and general manager of Purely Natural. He strives to improve the quality of natural products on the market and passes along his knowledge of herbal remedies through lectures and articles. Joel's an entertaining and accessible writer, and today we're going to discuss one of his previous articles, which details a topic that I think everybody's interested in but may actually not know the details of, and that is detoxing. Welcome back to the show, sir. As always, happy to be here. Thank you for having me. So, you know, everybody talks about detox. It's like, you know, it's spring and fall. That's when everybody sort of turns their mind to it. And I'm not sure they understand what is involved with a detox. So what exactly is a detox? Well, first of all, detoxing, as you say, lately past 10 years roughly has become a huge fad. You've got celebrities talking about it. Social media, it explodes on it practically daily. Yep. And very few people, as you say, know what it is. Detox is short form for detoxification. The other word people use is cleansing. Cleansing, yep. The problem is it means different things to everyone. When you talk, for example, about the latest celebrity detox that you see in one of those tabloid magazines, but essentially when all the celebrities talk about it, they're just talking about really quick diets that are nasty unhealthy. And that's not what I'm going to talk about today because when anyone looks at one of those diet products, it says detox, it says cleanse, whatever, and you look on the side, you realize that it's not healthy for you. It's a quick fix and it's just not a good idea. But moving off that, you start moving to things that are done intentionally to remove undesirable things from your body. And it's a combination of taking actions and actually taking product and taking specific foods. Okay. That's what a true detox is. Right. And it's meant to be a process as opposed to a quick fix. I mean, I think that's the takeaway point you were just making, right? Oh, definitely. If, If you try and do something that's harsh and fast, in some way, you're virtually guaranteed of hurting yourself. 
Right. It's the, the equivalent of a weekend warrior. If you don't live an active lifestyle and then all of a sudden on a Sunday you decide that you're, you know, you're going to go climb a mountain. Uh, it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. <laughs> For so, a long time. So that is the detox equivalent. When you go and you, you do one of these like five-day intensive cleanses, you're essentially climbing a mountain with no practice. Correct. All right. So why do we need to detox in any event? Like, why is that something we should do? Well, the easiest way to understand this is to think of your body as a machine. Now, your body is designed with its own detoxification mechanisms in it. It's always detoxifying 24-7, 365. Because if your body didn't, as a species, we we wouldn't be around. Right. We would have died off long ago. Now, you have to realize why you need to detox is what our bodies are exposed to. They're bombarded every day. Think of it as you're just standing there, you've got no shield, nothing, and just thousands upon thousands upon thousands of things are trying to attack your body at all times. And what I mean by that is we're exposed to over 100,000 synthetic chemicals at any one time. I want to stop here for a second because that is a modern phenomenon, right? You know, like as late as the 1950s, you didn't have as many chemicals in the atmosphere, in our water, in our environment as we now have. I mean, you know, and and it's escalated. It's growing exponentially still. And, you know, future generations, you know, we're we're adaptive creatures. We may be able to adapt, those of us who are left, (laughs) uh, to naturally deal with these new brands of synthetic toxins. But, you know, evolution doesn't work that quickly. No, evolution is over many generations. Correct. So in the meantime... We've got to help our bodies along. I, I mean, that's how I look at it, right? Like, if we are that not just e- makes sense. If we're not equipped to deal with what we are living in, well, then we've got to help ourselves through the detox. Definitely. So our bodies are constantly bombarded by these chemicals. Right. They come in every way possible. It's not as though if you drink a ton of water every day, you're you're immune. What ends up happening is they're in the air we breathe, the water we drink, the food we eat, the cleaners we use. The paints and the furniture we touch and are exposed to every day. Our clothing. Our, our clothes. And worst of all lately are our gadgets. Right. You have to remember, every one of us has a phone. Every one of us has a, a television. Every one of us has a computer. All those things give off chemicals 24-7, 365. And if we were talking in the 1970s, there'd be one, maybe two televisions per household. There were no cell phones. Computers were just starting. So we were a little better off when it came to exposure. Right. Now, how many people do you know have more than one cell phone or tablet per person? It's insane how many. And those we never think of give off tons of chemicals to us, let alone into the environment when they're manufactured. Right. So it isn't just the packing materials. It isn't, you know, the, you know, we're not talking about the new car smells. We're talking about <laughs> ongoing uh, leaching of chemicals from these products. Correct. Right? And unfortunately, many, if not most of these chemicals and the new chemicals resulting from interaction between these chemicals right. have never been tested. And really? the, the other thing is, even if they have been tested, the question is, at what exposure level were they tested at? Right. And, you know, for some products, let's say hypothetically, they came up with a study that showed that cell phones are causing all sorts of environmental damage and chemical damage. I think the vast majority of people would just kind of 
turn their their blind eye to it and probably just continue using it. Oh, of course. It's it's the exact same thing if you look at, for example, the legislation regarding handsets in cars. Right. If you actually wanted to stop distracted driving, you would make it illegal to have a cell phone in the car with you. That's one but of my, it's not going to happen. It's one of my pet peeves. Don't don't get me started. That's a whole, <laughs> Joel, that's a whole other show. Sorry, but I, it'll never happen. No, actually, it's another segment. We're going to discuss my driving in another segment later later today. But Oh, Lord. It, uh, yeah, I know. I know. So in, in the article, you made a comment about chemical synergy. Which I yes. think sort of flows from that. So, so what is that? Well, chemical synergy is a concept that has been endorsed and explored by many scientists in the past 10, 15 years as the number of chemicals we were exposed to has increased. Now, most people haven't heard of it. It means that the more chemicals you're exposed to, the more they build up in your system and they actually have the opportunity to interact forming new chemicals that may not exist anywhere else, but actually inside of us. Yikes. And the potential harm generated by these chemicals is significantly greater than the harm from any single chemical, regardless of its level in us. Manufacturers often say that the potential for harm in whatever chemical they're using, or multiple chemicals, say a fragrance in a cleaning product, because all cleaning products have them, or a color in a food, is minimal. And they may be right. Exposure to that one, they may have done the tests and proven that exposure to that one chemical, okay, you're only going to expose to this much, and that's not actually going to hurt you that much. But the problem is... It's not only that chemical you're exposed to. It's the other 99,999 that specific minute you're exposed to that one chemical and how they interplay in your body. Right. And nobody, you can't possibly test for that because who would have the time or resources? It's physically impossible because you also don't know. It may not be two. It may be six. Right. When people say, oh, yeah, but that's going a little too far, think about it. You actually do embrace this concept all the time because every time you see your doctor or every time you see a pharmacist, they ask you, well, what other medications are you taking? Right. The reason they're asking is because there are studies on some medications and how they interact with you and the negative consequences. It's called contraindications. Correct. And so... Nobody is really turning their mind as to the contraindications of the various chemicals that we're exposing ourselves to. Definitely. And they should because many of us have difficulty detoxifying naturally. And the more impaired your systems are, you're more likely to suffer from the illnesses that we call modern illnesses, such as diabetes, heart disease, cancer. And all of those things have as a component of them DNA and cell degradation, all of which can be, in some cases, traced back to toxic overload. Okay, so if that's the case, you know, let's talk about how the body deals with the chemicals and what we can do to assist. Well, as I said in the beginning, your body does naturally detox 24-7, 365. It is equipped to detoxify what was on the planet Earth when humans were created. However, if you believe that happened, that's fine. It was done to do that. And the allies for your detoxification are your liver, your kidneys, your colon, your bowels, and also your skin. Skin, yep. Now, your liver plays a big role in detoxification. That's its primary purpose. Right. It's responsible for filtering, capturing, and breaking down 
a good chunk of the toxins that enter your body. Right. And we covered the liver more yep. extensively our last discussion, which Correct. people can go to the podcast and listen to. But remember that detoxification is also very hard on your liver. And man-made chemicals are harder than biologic chemicals. Mm-hmm. Now, your kidneys eliminate waste from your bloodstream primarily. Mm-hmm. They constantly filter your blood, combining the waste and toxins with water, because part of their function is also to balance the amount of water in your bloodstream, and eliminate it, them both through your, the bladder right. in your urine. Your kidneys are under a huge amount of stress, and modern diseases that toxins contribute to hit the kidneys quite hard. Those being diabetes, high blood pressure, obesity, and the silly things of smoking yep. and alcohol abuse. Your colon and bowel work together to eliminate solid waste and toxins from your body, mm-hmm. primarily our diet. A high percentage of that waste, though, also includes bacteria and dead cells. Now, the problem with that is the bacteria and dead cells themselves become toxic, even if they weren't in the beginning, as they putrefy in your body. Yes. So you want to eliminate them as fast as possible so you can minimize putrefaction. Your digestive system and liver also dump waste into your colon, increasing the volume there. The Western diet and our sedentary lifestyle, I hate that phrase, (laughs) have played havoc on the functioning of everyone's colon bowels. Bad food choices, toxins, and stress all contribute to their poor functioning. This is the main reason if you go into any health food store or any pharmacy, one of the biggest aisles is always the laxative aisle. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, it totally makes sense. So, you know, we put all these stresses on our bodies. Constantly. Constantly. And the detoxes are, or the the detoxification process that we're talking about to assist is meant to alleviate some of that stress, right? Correct. So for the last few minutes of, of this talk, let's sort of focus on not those quick cleanses, yes. but, but how do we detox adequately? What would you recommend? Well, you want to take it step by step. Yep. First talk about the liver, then talk about this, because they're not it. all the same. Go for it. So you can support your liver with different foods and herbs. What you eat and what supplements you take have a massive effect on your liver function. Helping foods are beets, dill, carrots, apples, oranges, cabbage. This is by no means an exhaustive list. And the supplements include vitamin B1, vitamin C, and the massive helper that we talked about before, milk thistle, but make sure it's certified organic. Okay. It makes a difference. Your kidneys, best way to be healthy with them is to control your weight, your blood pressure, and your blood sugar. Mm -hmm. If you can do that and absolutely nothing else, you're going to help them. But on top of that, you want to exercise regularly, drink clean water throughout the day, and avoid drinks that contain sugar, caffeine, or chemicals. Right. And we all know what those are. Of course we do. Now, you can help your colon and bowels by eating healthy, reducing stress, and exercising regularly. A lot of people don't realize that regular exercise helps your bowels. But those who exercise know it, right? Yes, definitely. You know, there's there's no question. If you want to be regular, you know... Intake of fiber and exercise are, and sleep, actually, are the three. And that, water. Yeah. Those and your colon will be happy as the day is long. And everybody wants a happy colon. Agreed. Because <laughs> if you don't have one, you don't have a happy life. Okay. Now, whatever foods or supplements you take, ideally try and go for certified organic. It just doesn't make sense to put chemicals into your body when you're trying to eliminate them. Right. And taking things that are certified organic you're less likely to. Another big thing is to look for items that are kosher. And the reason is that kosher products require, on the label, 
every ingredient listed, no matter how low it is. I didn't know that. Yep. So by looking for something that's kosher, when you read the ingredients list, you know it is 100% accurate. Wow. Okay. And always read your labels. Absolutely. Make sure if the golden rule in our house, if you can't spell it or pronounce it, it doesn't go in you. Fantastic. Well, thank you for coming on the show today. You're coming back next month. Always. Always a pleasure to have you on. We've got to take a short break, but when we return, we're going to learn the top tips for gym newbies on The Tonic. The Benvenuto Group is an owner and developer of quality high-rise condominium and rental properties in Toronto and Montreal. The Benvenuto team is passionate about delivering quality living spaces, top lifestyle amenities, important services, and innovative design tailored specifically to its residents in every particular submarket. The Benvenuto Group seeks out the finest urban neighborhoods and designs projects to allow its residents to enjoy the benefits of both their property and the exceptional locations that they become a part of. The team surrounds itself with leading professionals and consultants and pushes them to conceive great places to live, to work, and to play. The Benvenuto Group is currently designing several new projects in Toronto, Montreal, and Chicago that will not only become exceptional places to live as an owner or as a renter, but that will deliver some of the highest levels of sustainability, energy efficiency, and comfort, and will set the standard for informed residents. For more information, please visit thebenvenuto.com. Hi, this is Jamie Busson. I'm not only the host of the Tonic Talk Show, I'm also the publisher of Tonic Magazine. Tonic is a health and wellness magazine distributed with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in the most affluent neighborhoods in Toronto. It's also available free on racks at over 150 locations across the GTA. For more information about Tonic Magazine, visit tonictoronto.com. Hey, if you like the Tonic Talk Show, you'll love Tonic Magazine, and vice versa. You're listening to The Tonic on Sumer Radio. Welcome back. Our next guest, Kathleen Trotter, is a fitness expert, nutritionist, life coach, monthly guest on B-Team Montreal and Rogers Ottawa, and author of the book, Finding Your Fit. Welcome back to the show. Oh, it's my pleasure. I love finding fit with you. You're a bottle of fun. <laughs> I am a bottle of something. I don't know if it's fun. It's fun. It's fitness fun, Jamie. I'm, I'm something. September is when people sort of make their health decisions. That's yes. what I found. You know, it's not the new year. If you're serious about it, you make it in September, back to work, back to school. This is when people sort of turn their minds to what am I going to do in the coming year? Some people will decide to work out in the gym and it may be for their first time. So I thought it would be helpful if you came on the show today and discuss the sort of issues that come up for people who've never been to a gym before, but want to sort of do it right so that they feel comfortable, right? Yeah. Well, I think the most important thing to know is that, yes, it can be very intimidating to start going to a gym, but we were all newbies at one point. You know, Absolutely. I think it was last month I talked about how I was very unfit teenager and I was a newbie at the gym, you know, 20 years ago and I was so intimidated and I started by just walking on the treadmill and going to aerobics classes and, you know, that was my step in the door yep. and then I started strength training and so I think I would tell everybody don't get super worried about phantom futures of this like, well, I have to be the best weight trainer ever. Like, don't worry about the perfection. Don't worry about down the road. You go from A to B and B to C and C to D and if from A to B is just just to get yourself in the door, then that's fine. You get in the door, put your clothes on, walk on the treadmill for 10 minutes. And if that's all you do for the first time, that's fine. It's baby steps. You know, you don't get up the mountain and the first step. You got to 
work your way there. And then when you feel a little bit more confident, then you go to the weight room and you think, okay, Kathleen would just say, embrace my inner goofy, boo who I am. Everybody was a first timer once. Yep. We all get so caught up in other people looking at us and nobody judging us. Nobody cares. Who cares? First of all, nobody cares. Yeah. And if they do care, you do not care what they think. Absolutely. Right? No, you know, and, and my experience is the vast majority of people who are in the gym. They're there are, to be are, at the gym. They're doing their own yeah, thing. Yeah, they're doing their own thing. And they're supportive of anybody that's Absolutely. new. Everybody wants everybody else to succeed, particularly in classes. Absolutely. And honestly, if they don't, then that's on pick, them. And pick another and, gym. Yeah, pick another gym and have compassion for the fact that they are not a kind person. Like, exactly. you know, like just, just forget about other people and just do you. There, mm. There's tons of friendly places to exercise and work out. And the gym owners want to encourage you to come in. Absolutely. If you're in a place where you're feeling uncomfortable, pick another Another place. Yeah. And if you absolutely have to start doing strength training at home, do that and then say, okay, for the first month, I'm going to work out, you know, do my bicep curls at home and then I'll go to the gym. That's fine too. Really, as long as you're working, you're winning. As long as you're thinking and doing something, the worst thing you can do is say, well, next week I'll get fit or next week I'll go to the gym. No, the time is today. You do something, whatever it is, and then you build on what you did today, tomorrow. I have another sort of collateral piece of advice for people who are reluctant to go to the gym. When I was losing my weight, I went to a gym that was attached to a hotel downtown because it was right next door to my office and it was super convenient. Okay. Number convenience one, is very important. Convenience is, is super important. You, you need... Because consistency is key. Correct. And if you, it's not convenient, you won't be consistent. I just sort of threw whatever... It, you know, I didn't... I wasn't happy with my body shape and I had bad body image. So it didn't matter to me what I put on. I just kind of wore like the old track pants or mm. whatever and it didn't look good. I would do that differently. If I, I were agree. if yeah. I were to, if I were to start over, people have this idea, oh, when I get fit, I'll go buy my clothes. No. No. Find something that you feel comfortable in that you think makes you look good, even if you're not in the body that you Absolutely. that you and want. And it doesn't have to be like a two hundred dollar outfit. No, it doesn't. It just has to be something that you walk in and you're like, I feel good and confident. Like you don't want to be pulling down your t shirt and yanking up your shorts. Exactly. Because you don't need that added frustration to the experience. It's already a hard enough time for most people starting exactly. anyway. So make it as easy as possible. Right. I agree. And you know, go with a friend if that's going to make it easier too. You know, make it consistent, make it convenient, make your clothing comfortable and then take a buddy. Take a buddy. If you want to, like if that's your personality. But don't rely on a buddy. Don't use it as a crutch because then if your buddy doesn't want to go or they're not available, that's not an excuse to skip your workout. I agree. It's a non-negotiable that you go no matter what, but some people are more comfortable with a friend and you do have to do you. Like really, it's about finding your fit and, you know, 80% of the time I actually enjoy working out by myself. It's my alone time. But then sometimes I'm like, you know what? I haven't seen my friends in a while. That'll help me go on a Sunday morning so I go with my girlfriends we do a class like you know it'll depend also on the time of day you know of my five workouts a week tour with my daughter and tour with my wife oh that's so nice and having them I didn't work- think I could like you more I yeah. think that just did that <laughs> endears oh. me to you but, I like that but working out with family can be very rewarding yeah. too you know yeah, uh, go with your partner go for a walk after dinner like whatever yeah. it is yeah go to the gym after dinner yeah yep. All right. So let's talk about the type of things. Now, we've talked about the collateral stuff. Let's talk about learning a mindset for working out, which is something that you've talked about. Yeah. I mean, the mindset, the biggest thing is, is just go, just do it. You know, the blah, 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 go work out hashtag, right? Like stop thinking about it. There's so many reasons to talk yourself out of going and you just have to say, this is a non-negotiable, right? And I will learn as I go. I don't have to be perfect today. Right. 
Kathleen didn't know what a rep and a set is when she first started to go to the gym. Right. She just went, she tried, and now she's written a book about fitness and she's, you know, has a master's in exercise science. Like it doesn't have to, you don't, can't be everything today and you didn't adapt all of your bad healthy habits, you know, in one day. So you're not going to get all your healthy habits in one day. There's one class a week that I loathe because I find it the most challenging, but I can't allow myself not to go because I'm not up for it. Like some days you're going to, f- you're going to have that energy and sometimes you're not, but sometimes you feel like you don't have the energy mm. before you go in. And then when you find yourself in the middle of a workout, all of a sudden you yeah. do have that energy and you get those rewards. Well, so I would almost even flip it. It's the days you feel good that you don't have to go. True. It's the days you feel the worst that you have to make yourself go. 100%. I always say, Kathleen, the worse your mood, the more important the workout, right? Because yep. then you will feel better after. A hundred percent. And, yeah. and you know, those days when I don't work out, the two out of the seven that I don't, I actually feel differently. I actually find myself getting crankier. Yeah, if for that, sure. If that were humanly possible. <laughs> so uh, when you do go for those first couple workouts, you do have to think, okay, so what am I going right, to do, right? Like right. how many sets, how many reps? Right. And what are, so sets and reps. Yeah, for those that's who a good don't, way to start, right? A rep is one time through a motion. So I'm here. I know it's radio. Yeah, I'm like demoing she's, she's a bicep curl. She, she okay, just you did can't a curl. see me. But one rep through is one, you know, one squat, one, one push lunge, up, one, one lunge, push yep, up, one yep. time through a motion. So if you're doing a set, of 12 to 15 reps, for example, it would be 12 to 15 push-ups is one set. Right, And then you could decide if you want to do a superset. So let's say you do a set of push-ups, then right away into a set of squats. That would be a superset, right? A circuit would be push-ups, squats, lunges. So a circuit is more than two exercises back-to-back with no break. Yes. And normally a good way to start is beginners would start with sort of 12 to 15 reps, two sets through. Mm-hmm. Once you get to intermediate, it's more like three sets through, and then more advanced is three to four plus sets through. Mm-hmm. And you play around with the reps depending on what your goals are, right? So if you're looking for more hypertrophy, so that's muscle mass, you're thinking more eight to ten reps of a heavier weight. If you're looking for more relative strength. So you want to be able to pull up your own body weight, that kind yep. of stuff. It's more like four to six reps, three to six reps, you know, relative can, to your body can, weight. Can I, can I make a, a newbie tip here? Yes. Okay. So when I started working out, you know, I, I would speak to a personal trainer who might be on staff or I might go to a class and they'll show you how to do an exercise correctly, but they'll also sort of help you with how many constitutes a set, like how many yeah. reps. And it's always helpful to bring a notepad. On this oh, day, I like that. On this yes. day, I did, you know, 10 push ups and then I did 20 sit ups and then I did 10 lunges. And if you write it down, you won't forget it the next time you go to the gym and you can work from there. I, I find that very I helpful. I think it's really great. I want to add to that. It's not just that you won't forget what you've done so that you can add to it, but it's also it's hard to see progress when you're so close into it. Yep. I think one of the things I do for my clients is I can say to them, wow, six months ago you couldn't do X and now you can do Y. Yep. But when you're in it, a lot of people are like, oh my God, I haven't made any progress, right? Yep. But if you have it written down, let's say you don't, you decide not to get a trainer, fine. But if you've written everything down, you can be like, wow, I could only do three push-ups when I started and now I can do 15 yep. and I can do three sets of 15. Right. I could only do two sets when I started. Now I'm doing four, right. you know, like whatever it is. And when you see that progress, it's extremely motivating to keep going. And it's very easy to get caught in the weeds when you're working out and you're just like, oh my God, I'm still as unfit as I used to be. You know, even when you are fit, you don't necessarily feel as fit as you want to be because you always see that next step. So journaling is fantastic. It's also journaling for your goals. So you can say, okay, great. I now can do two sets of push-ups. Where do I want to go? Right. Because goals are, again, extremely motivating. Or you can look at your book and be like, wow, 
I've been doing the same workout for the last like well, four months. I got Why aren't I seeing results? Oh, I've been doing the same workout right. for four I months. Gonna I got to change it up. Things up you right? got to change it up. And, and, and I think it's helpful, you know, even if you don't have your own personal trainer, you know, there are ways of sort of facilitating those changes by going online and looking at videos. Or send Kathleen an email on exactly. her website, right? And say like, I've been doing spin three times a week and I'm not seeing results. Why not? And I'll say, you got to strength train. Right. Right. Or whatever it is. Or, or I've been, I've been doing lunges and squats, you know, I'm bored with it. What yeah. do I do? What do I do now? Yeah, and I'll say, get them on the BOSU, right? Like you, there's so many ways to make fitness fun or at least make fitness different yep. to add variety. If you're bored with your routine, first of all, boredom is the kiss of workout death. Yep. But second of all, you don't need to be bored. Like that's yep. the thing is absolutely you don't need to be. So you can do interval training. You can do different machines. You can do different classes. Uh, you just got to mix it up. Exactly. Well, thank you for coming in today. Oh, my pleasure. I wish I could stay longer. It's always such fun. It is always fun to have you in. We're going to hear back from you next month, but we've got to take a short break, but we'll be right back on The Tonic. And now the soul segment with spiritual medium, transpersonal therapist and teacher, Lisa Marvin. Through her use of tarot cards, your questions about love, money and career are sure to be answered. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining me for this week's soul segment. Today, we'll be focusing on your love life. The way this works is that I've pulled three cards to get a glimpse as to what to expect for the week. The first card is the energy that has brought you to where you are now. The second card is what you need to focus on right now. And the third card is the energy that's going to carry you into the future. The first card that we're going to look at is the world card. The world is a major arcana card. In the deck, There are 22 major arcana cards, and when they show up, it's a very special occasion. The world card means that recently, you've been feeling like the world is your oyster, and that anything can be possible within your love life. You may have even been feeling a little luckier than usual. The next card is the Ten of Wands. This is telling you that this week, you need to focus on releasing some emotional burdens that you've been carrying for quite a while. These are old wounds that you no longer need. The energy that will carry you into the future is the Nine of Pentacles. The Nine of Pentacles is known as the Change of Face card. This means that you're going to go through a change so big that not only are you going to change the way that you see the world, but the world will change the way it sees you. So it looks like it's a great week to make wonderful improvements in your love life. Good luck. Thank you for joining me, and I'm looking forward to connecting with you next week. This has been the Soul Segment with Lisa Marvin. To contact Lisa with your questions, please visit metaphysique.ca. I'd like to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. This company is 100% Canadian owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Formulations are created on their 40,000 square foot facility located in Toronto. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Our next guest, Jelena De Silva, is a well-certified, passionate yoga teacher. Her love for yoga takes her across the GTA to teach at several studios and multiple clients. Her background in psychology and college athletics infuses her classes with a strong understanding of how mind and body function. 
Whether leading a large outdoor event, a classroom of yogis, or in the home of a client, her philosophy for teaching is simple. Teach with love, empathy, patience, and humility. Yoga is a journey, not a destination. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. I don't know if you know this, but we've got a friend of yours. We've got Tracy Sograti who comes in once a month and talks about mindfulness. Love Tracy. Everybody loves Tracy. (laughs) And she approaches everything from a scientific perspective. So we're looking at neuroplasticity and we're looking at neuroscience, neuropsychology, uh, and how it interacts with with sort of the the theories of uh, mindfulness. So good. But today, you're approaching stuff with a more practical slant, right? Yes. The the day-to-day practice, particularly of breath work, when it comes to mindfulness. And and yoga. Precisely. Yeah. Things people can access right away. Okay. Yeah. So I'm sure this comes up in your practice. So what do you find yourself discussing with, with your clients and your students? I find myself, the more that I teach discussing the breath, um, I heard a really helpful quote from one of my teachers a long time ago where they said, the more you practice yoga, the more you realize it really is about the breath. And even though people are coming to the studio often and they're making it to class, they'll be moving through the postures, but they won't be breathing. Or holding their breath while they're doing it, right? Yeah. And I was like thinking to myself one day, how many times do I say the word breath in one day or breathe to people? And that's honestly the case. I say it so often to people. Like that's something I find myself discussing in my classes and with my clients as well too. And and yoga stresses that there's different types of breathing depending on the postures, right? Precisely. Yeah. There's lots of different breathing techniques. I like to do the ones that are really easy to access, just long, deep inhales and exhales and doing that at the start of class so that people establish their breath first. Right. And then moving into the practice and then constantly reminding them and bringing back, bringing them back to the breath. And why is it so important in the, in the lifestyle? Like, like what, what is the connection between the breath and the work that you're doing physically on the movement? It's something that is always there for you. Okay. It's always in the body. It's constantly accessible. And a lot of people will forget that. It's so simple. Right. But it's so accessible. You take one deep breath and your entire physiology changes. Your heartbeat slows, the body relaxes. And if you focus just on that for a moment, it can change you entirely. So I think people forget the power of that. It, it's an element of biofeedback. Yes. Uh, I, I remember we went to Canyon Ranch. My wife and I went some years ago and I took a biofeedback class to to deal with an issue that is an ongoing one for me. <laughs> and that is you know, how I react to driving in Toronto. And so we're going to discuss that a little further. But one of the things that they suggested that I I attempt to do was breathing when I found myself in a situation, you know, Mm -hmm. like in a traffic jam or, you know, in other forms of stressful driving situations. And that could be very helpful. Not for me, but but for other people, I I highly recommend it. So so how else can people reduce their stress if if they're not able to make it to a yoga class and have you yell at them to breathe? (laughs) Pretty much. Well, there are a lot of apps available to people these days. Meditation apps. I love Headspace. There's Calm. Those are things that are accessible. But sometimes you're just too busy. You're caught up in your work, whatever you're doing. And there's the option to just stop, breathe deeply. And what I recommend people do is to actually pay attention attention to what's happening in your body in that moment as you're breathing deeply. Mm-hmm. Witness that and think about nothing else except that. Just watch yourself in that moment. Another thing is, especially for a lot of people that are working downtown, there's so much tension in the shoulders. Yep. So learn a couple of simple stretches. Remove yourself from whatever situation you're in for that moment. Do those stretches. Come back. 
And another thing I find very helpful is having a mental checklist of the things that you can actually change in that moment. And what do you mean you, by that? Like, what do you mean? So if it's a stressful situation at work and someone is acting in a certain way, you can't change their behavior. The only thing you can change is your own. So think Your reaction about, to their yeah, behavior. Your reaction to their behavior. So it's really simple, but it's just kind of like that serenity prayer, you know, God grant me the you know, wisdom to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. It's like that kind of application in the moment when it's happening. So Yeah, that's not easy. No, it's not. <laughs> and so what do your what do your students find challenging? Like when you're when you're approaching them with these ideas, what are the challenges that they're facing? I find with mindfulness techniques, people try too hard. They'll over try. Really? Yeah. They'll want uh, an immediate response or they'll, you know, over effort. And the irony of that is if you're approaching mindfulness and mindfulness techniques with like, I'm going to be the most mindful person in the world. Well, that might be the way I would do it. (laughs) (laughs) That Western mindset of like, do it all, being it, you know, living, living in the moment and nailing it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Living my best life. And it's like, calm down. You need to just be, stop trying so hard and let it happen. And I find letting go of that control or that over effort, as I like to say, that's probably the hardest. I witness that a lot. So I guess this expectations is what you're saying, right? Like we, like we, we've been trained for immediate gratification. Yeah. So why shouldn't we be immediately gratified by our mindfulness? Right? Exactly. Yeah. And it takes time. And that's why I'm constantly reminding people and myself, it's a practice, right? Practice makes practice, which is really the case with yoga and mindfulness. All right. So, you know, if I corner Tracy, I don't know if she'd be able to answer this question. But what do you dislike or what what do you find the most annoying aspect of this sort of drive to mindfulness that everybody's talking about now? I find that it's the approach that some people take. Like, for example, this past month, I was following uh, the Year of Calm Calm calendar, and it gives you a task to do every single day, mm-hmm. which is helpful, especially if you're trying to establish a habit. But I also witnessed for myself and for others how it creates this pressure. Like, Mm -hmm. for example, there are 30-day challenges for yoga where you're supposed to do yoga every day for 30 days. And I'll have conversations with students where they'll say, you know, I really hurt my shoulder, but I feel obligated to go to yoga. Or I'm really stressed out because I can't make yoga tomorrow, but I need to make yoga. And you're just listening to this going, you do realize this is the (laughs) antithesis of mindfulness and slowing down. So it's that approach of, okay, so I got to do this. So I got to do it to the full extent. It's like, no, integrate it in a sustainable way and don't be so hard on yourself. Take the time to integrate it into your routine. So again, it's that whole idea of do it to the max and the approach to mindfulness. But if you look at the type of person who would most benefit from mindfulness, it's mm-hmm. the people who are the hardest on themselves, right? Absolutely, yeah. Right? You know, it's the ones who can't find the inner peace because they're they're busy beating themselves up and... Totally. You know, I do gravitate towards that. And yeah. it's been suggested by many of my <laughs> yoga friends that I, that I perhaps more than anybody they know should be looking more into mindfulness, which brings me to my next topic. So the, <laughs> the breathing, the breathing wasn't working for me yeah. in, in traffic. It just wasn't. Mm-hmm. And truthfully, if you ask my family, you know, what is the one thing that they would change about me? It's my driving habits oh. <laughs> and, and because I used to courier during the summer. So I know all the fastest routes. Okay. I drive my vehicle. Like it's like a dragster, like like jumping at the green light and I drop F-bombs like an unsigned rapper, you know, like, I, like I'm, well, that's kind of therapeutic in itself. Yeah. But not, bit, but, but not, ple- not pleasant if you're driving. <laughs> not for others. With exactly. You. Yes. Yeah. So I, I've developed this new thing and I've, I started at the beginning of this month 
So every drive that's mindful, if I don't swear, I don't tailgate, I don't like turn and crane and stare at somebody as I'm driving past them, Mm -hmm. and I don't curse, I get a point. And if I do any one of those things, I lose a point and I'm trying to get to a hundred points. Oh, wow. So I, I know it's not, it's a very westernized hybrid approach to mindfulness, yeah. but it appears to be working. Yeah. And honestly, it's not to, it's not to demonize or push aside the Western approach because that's uh, a catalyst for change. Right. Like sometimes you need those reward systems or those 30 day challenges to get the ball rolling. Right. But Sometimes it's not always sustainable, and you will no, slip no. up and oh, make no. mistakes. Oh, yeah. uh, for example, on the but drive down today, I I, I ah. lost it just <laughs> merging onto traffic on the on the first main street. I thought, okay, that's it. Point We're off. Yeah. The rest of the rest <laughs> of the drive is a wash. It doesn't matter what I do. So, uh, other than making ridiculous driving lists, what else would you recommend? How can we incorporate the mindfulness into our everyday? I really do recommend looking into meditation apps. Okay. I've, I've found that I've been recommending them more to my students. I've witnessed the change in myself and in others when they take the time. Even And, and the thing is, it comes across as, as intimidating at first. Right. But even if you, if you do just two minutes, three minutes, five minutes of it, it can just change your entire perspective in that moment. And starting those little habits here and there, I think, are really, really right. helpful. So you don't need to immerse yourself in the entire lifestyle. These no. little these little tidbits that you can snake out are, are worthwhile. Exactly. Yeah. Just t- find those little moments and reserve them for yourself. It makes a huge difference because not everybody's able to make it to the yoga studio all the time, you know? Right. So finding those practical moments during the day, I think, is important. Fantastic. Thank you for coming in the show today. Thanks for having me. We've got to take a short break, but when we return, we're going to discuss preparing for an empty nest on the tonic. And now, time for Pure Beauty. Learn all about holistic skincare and health featuring chemical-free ingredients. Here's naturopathic doctor and co-founder of Pure and Simple Beauty and Wellness Centers, Dr. Kristen Ma. Today, we're going to talk about something called dark damage. Did you know that sun damage can also happen after dark? A research study out of Yale University found that skin cell DNA damage occurs even at nighttime. So let's get into the how and what this means. The sun's UV light can prompt a type of DNA damage called cyclobutane dimer. For simplicity's sake, I prefer CPD. When CPD occurs, DNA bases attach together and bend, contorting our DNA. In the university's research, it was found that skin cells without melanin only generated CPD when exposed to UV radiation, but our cells that produce pigment generated it throughout the nighttime. This is surprising because pigment is thought to protect our skin, so the fact that our protective, pigment-creating cells can cause more damage was a revelation of its own. So what are we to do about this? Well, one important thing to try and do is divert harmful energy and turn it into simple heat. One promising study found that vitamin E did just that. It reduced energy agents by 85%. So, using oils rich in vitamin E, such as safflower, almond, and sunflower, could lessen dark damage. However, protecting your skin still remains paramount. But how do we choose the proper sun protection? SPF stands for Sun Protection Factor. It's the factor that extends your burn time. For example, if you burn in one minute, an SPF of 30 extends your burn time to 30 minutes. Many people think a higher SPF gives you more protection, when in fact, it gives you longer protection. So to choose the proper SPF, you should determine how long you plan to be outside. 
This is more important than ever because now we know that sun damage doesn't start and stop with the sun. This has been Pure Beauty with Dr. Kristen Ma. Learn more and ask questions about holistic beauty and their wellness centers through their Facebook page at pureandsimple.ca. This segment should not take the place of medical advice. Always talk to your healthcare provider about personal health concerns. The Tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their liquid greens chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy, enjoy the detox, enjoy the great taste. Purely natural, liquid greens. Hi, this is Jamie Busson. I'm not only the host of the Tonic Talk Show, I'm also the publisher of Tonic Magazine. Tonic is a health and wellness magazine distributed with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in the most affluent neighborhoods in Toronto. It's also available free on racks at over 150 locations across the GTA. For more information about Tonic Magazine, visit tonictoronto.com. Hey, if you like the Tonic Talk Show, you'll love Tonic Magazine, and vice versa. You're listening to The Tonic on Sumer Radio. My next guest is Leslie Sandler-Griff. She's been practicing as a social worker who specializes in couples therapy for over 20 years. For more information about her practice, please visit lesliesandlergriff.com. Welcome to the show. Thank you. When couples are faced with the possibility of an empty nest, there are things they can do to plan for that, right? Absolutely. This is not something that comes with a surprise. Right. So, and, and according to you, and we, we've talked about this sort of out of the studio, the, the focus should be that the couple works at sort of maintaining the, their couplehood, right? Well, absolutely. I mean, presumably the couple has been working together for the last number of years, You'd think. <laughs> raising children, running a household, just, you know, doing life. Right. So presumably this is just the next step in the process. Right. But it's a big step in the process in that there's a lot of changes that sort of come with an empty nest. What are they for those who like haven't really turned their mind to it? Right. Well, I would say one of the biggest things is that there's way more time that you and your partner have the opportunity to spend together than you ever have before. Right. You know, if you have a lot of kids, sometimes you play what I call, like, this is a basketball reference, a little bit of zone defense, right? You know, one of you maybe is the one who drives everybody around, and then somebody else is the one who does activities or does the shopping or whatever. But all of a sudden, there's less to do and, and more free time, right? Well, absolutely. And so that's what I'm talking about. There are no carpools. There are no sports teams to get them to or dance recitals. Uh, weekends are particularly void, especially of both of the people in the couple are working, then it is the weekend time that all of a sudden becomes available. Okay, so one of the things that you recommend in your practice is that couples look for things that they have in common, or or is it things that they can do in common? Well, yes. I mean, I absolutely think that probably if you're in a relationship, you have things that you like to do together. Right. So I'm going to say the obvious. Of course, you know, sex is good. Keep it up. Do it as often as you would like, potentially more than you have the opportunity, have had the opportunity to do in the past, but possibly not. Right. But that's not going to take up the whole weekend. 
No, it never does. Okay. As long as we're clear about that. I was, yeah. No, there's not going to take There's no risk of that. Go on. Okay. So what else do you like to do together? Is it an exercise regime that you want to build together? Sure. Is it a new addition to the family in terms of a pet? A lot of people do that. Guilty as charged. They, you know, they see that their children are either going to be leaving the nest or have left the nest, feel that there is this void, and then go the pet route. If you're going to do that, you need to make sure you have both people on board with that because it is something that requires both of you to be involved in. And in fact, if you're both involved in it, it's a really nice thing. It is. I mean, you know, and that's, it's funny that you mentioned that because we, you know, we got a dog a year ago and, you know, there were other reasons for it. It was mostly to get me from out behind my desk and the kids were all sort of scratching their heads like, okay, why now? Why are you doing this now? We could have had a family pet years ago, but the reasons for it were quite different. Right. And that's, and that's all well and good. And I think that when couples make a decision like that, they need to be doing it together and for their right reasons. And I'm not going to say there's a set of right reasons and a set of wrong reasons. I'm saying that it has to make sense for the couple where they are in their life. If they both are involved in very busy careers and are, you know, focused outside of the home sort of more than nine to five during the week, it may not make sense to get a pet. If you have one of the two partners who have been potentially more a stay-at-home parent, either not working at all or working part-time, their time may be allowing, you know, the care for a pet, which is, I know, what your circumstance is and what you do. Well, no, I I mean, I'm working full-time, but I'm working from home. So, so, you know, it's just, it's easier to have a pet just because you're there. Beyond pets, though, obviously, people have their own interests, even within a marriage, and then all of a sudden you have more time, and then it becomes suddenly a good idea. Oh, that thing I was doing on my own, maybe we'll do it together. But that sort of changes the rhythms and the dynamics, right? Well, in fact, what you want to do is find some new things that might be an offshoot of something that you've been doing all along individually that you could now do together. So, you know, exercise is a great example. So I've been going to an exercise class for, I would say, the last 15, 20 years. Every Saturday morning, I have my routine. I have my women that I stand beside. All good. I can't imagine having my partner come and join me for that event. Okay. You say the couples need to plan for their new roles in the home. What do you mean by that? Well, again, if there are chores and tasks that are associated with every well-moving home, well-greased home, whether it's the emptying of the dishwasher, the mowing of the lawn, the walking of a family pet, if there has been one all along, which and those are the tasks that usually fall to teenagers, whether they actually do the tasks or not, I'm not sure. That's a whole or whether other, they do them competently. Yeah. That's a whole other story. Yeah. But those tasks are generally allocated to that group. Yep. And then all of a sudden they leave, and there are all these sort of outstanding, integral pieces of work that still need to be done around the house. And who's going to do them? And how are they going to get done? And is this just going to be the assumption that one person is going to pick them up? You know, when I say assumptions, it's really, really important that you don't just make the assumption that your partner's going to pick it up because this isn't something that you've ever done before. Right. And, you know, some a lot of it you, historically falls down to gender roles too, right? Like Absolutely. You, you have to sort of understand the give and take, you know, but by 
the time your your kids are out of the house, most of those give and take dynamics are there, right? Whether you're specifically addressing them to who's going to empty the dishwasher. I mean, I think that they are. I think you're right that they are, and hopefully they are. But there are stress points in any uh, relationship. And sometimes you have been, as a couple, so distracted by you know, child rearing and just the daily grind yeah. that all of a sudden what used to be able to be swept under the carpet because of a distraction, it's no longer there. And then you have to really look at the nitty gritty of it. Right. And sometimes that's really difficult to do because it's actually not something that is just because the dishwasher needs emptying today and yesterday your kid was home to do it and you've never emptied the dishwasher and you've never done anything and, you know, you don't toe the line when it comes to. And those kind of conversations can really tend to be brought in at these kind of stress points in a relationship. And it can really wreak havoc on your relationship. So if you can sort of, it's presuming that you have a solid base but some couples don't. And right. then they're they're in a position where it's even more difficult to navigate this new area. Right. And and the the type of thing that really, you know, trips couples up is is finances, right? So all of a sudden you know, when you're in an empty nest, there there may be decisions to make about, you know, how you're going to live going forward and what you're going to do. Perhaps you have extra income or perhaps you have less income. So how, how would you recommend that couples resolve that? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think that the, the most important thing is to understand is that for some couples, there is a disposable income, availab- there's availability of income that was never before. Right. Because you're not paying for all those dance lessons and sports teams or whatever, or just even allowance. And, I mean, maybe you're paying for higher education. Maybe you're not. You know, all of those things are up in the air. But generally speaking, if you do have access to some disposable income, what are you going to do with it? You know, some people say, oh, yes, now that my kid has moved out, I'm going to change that room into an exercise room. Right. Or I'm going to change that room into, uh, you know, a media room, like a sort of home theater. Right. That's always been my dream. And I sit and I look at the couple, you know, and sometimes it's it's that we're out for dinner with a couple, and I look at the blank face of the person that they're talking about. Right. One has the plans, the other one, oh, this is news to me. And, And it's those kind of things which can really trip you up. Right. Okay, so we have time for one last question. Sometimes the empty nesters decide to change their environment. It's not just building, you know, a room. It's maybe they're downsizing or maybe they're deciding to move to a different community because they no longer have to be in a neighborhood because of schools. What would you recommend to them? Well, again, I think it's it's a joint decision. It's a partnership and you should take your time in doing this. This is not a decision that should be made lightly. You are rooted in a community, you're rooted in a life, and you and your partner need to decide together what the next steps and what you what your vision is. And you know, it's a blank piece of paper where you can vision your life. Right. Uh, and y- you may get it right, and you may get it wrong. And you both have to have the flexibility to be able to, you know, roll with that too. Fantastic advice. If people have questions for you, how can they reach out to you? Well, I do have a website, and uh, you've already mentioned it, www.lesliesandlergriff.com. Visit it. 
you'll get all the information you need. Fantastic. Thanks for coming on the show today. Next time when you come on, we're going to discuss what happens when you have an empty nest and your kids come back to roost. I look forward to it. And thank you for listening to The Tonic. You can download this episode as a podcast on Zoomer Radio and thetonic.ca. For articles written by Joel Funa, Jelena De Silva, and Kristen Ma, be sure to pick up your copy of Tonic Magazine. Tonic is available free on racks at over 200 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in 11 choice neighbourhoods in Toronto. Or you can visit our website at tonictoronto.com. If you're interested in providing feedback or coming on the show, you can email me at jamie at tonictoronto.com. Please join us next week on The Tonic when we'll discuss how to proactively prevent the aging process, cooking with turmeric, and the new sex ed curriculum. Until then, this is Jamie Busson wishing you a healthy and happy week. Please consult a healthcare professional before starting any diet, exercise, supplementation, or medication program. This has been a paid announcement. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.